If you turn to Matthew's Gospel, a moment in chapter 25, I'm going to read from verse 14. Matthew chapter 25 and verse 14. It's the parable of the talents. It will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, and to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went, and went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, see that, this is the return of Christ. And this is you facing Jesus at judgment. This is all believers being held accountable for the gifts and talents they were given. So after a long time that Christ has been away, after a long time the master of the servants returned and he settled the accounts with them. The man who had received five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. The man with two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrusted me with two talents. I have gained two more. He, uh, his master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share in your master's happiness. Then the man who had received one talent came. Master, he said, I knew you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. You knew that I harvested where I had not sown and gathered where I had not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put the money on deposit with bankers. You can tell this wasn't, you know, produced over the last few years. Eh? You should have put your money on deposit with bankers so that when I returned, I would have, had, uh, I would have received it back with interest. And look at verse 28. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has ten talents. If you've ever wondered why in the church the busy people are often added to, this is why. If you've ever wondered why, for example, Leanne will be here this morning playing the guitar and then go over and count the money and then hold the children's church meeting, it's because of this very scripture. Because try as you may, as a pastor or as a leader or as a cell leader or just like, try as you may to educate people and teach them about investing in the kingdom. Still, the words of Jesus are true. The rich get richer spiritually with eternal rewards and the poor get poorer. To this very day, folks, they estimate that 90% of the work in any church is done by 10% of the people. And it breaks my heart. With all my heart, I have tried my ministry life long 
to get people to get engaged in the kingdom. But so many just don't get it. And so you've got your Leans, you've got your Eileen's, you've got your Isabel's or whatever. People who have just had loads of things to do. And this is why. And the purpose of this series is to try and spread out the blessings, the eternal blessings of the kingdom of God. The rich get richer and the poor get poorer. Jesus says right here, take the talent from the person who has one and give it to the person with ten. He is very, very severe in his dealing with that servant. Very severe. So I've got to think ahead. One day every person in this room will be dead. As sure as eggs is eggs, you're going to die. And we've already been told about the judgment seat. I already know. We've written a book on it. It's called Vantage Point, Living as an End Times Believer. And in that book, there's a chapter on facing judgment. And I've listed there for you the very things that you will be judged on. I'm giving them to you again today. We've already been told that when I face Jesus Christ, I know... It's been prophesied in Scripture what I'm going to be asked. I have already been told. Therefore, there's no excuse for me not working in parallel with these things that I know. I know that when I face him, he's going to ask me about my talents or my gifts. I know he's going to ask me about my calling in life. I know he's going to assess my functioning, and I'm going to go through these one at a time. And of course, finances are such a, a big issue in the kingdom. I'll explain that also. So this series, it's just our second week. It's called How to Become a Shareholder in the Kingdom of God. What does it profit a man if you become so successful in business, if you gain the whole world and yet lose your soul? We have at least eight, nine people starting new businesses in the fellowship. And this is a very good time for us to reassess what we do and why we do it. Of course, we want to be successful in our careers if that's the path that God has led you on. Of course, you want to be successful in your business as God calls you to do it. But you don't want to be so successful that you get lopsided as we saw with Curve's example last week. Listen to this. Jesus was talking to his parents one day and this is what he said. Didn't you know that I had to be about my father's business? He used the word business. Didn't you, don't you understand the principles of the kingdom? And he was telling them something, telling them something of his perspective. And as I began last week, remember in the book of Genesis, so often you will hear that the, the Christian life is all about worship. Amen, the heart of the Christian life is about worship. But be careful, guys. Because in the book of Genesis, when God set Adam and Eve out into the world, he didn't say, now the whole purpose of this is to worship me. He didn't. What did he do? He said, now you're involved in the family business. I'm a king, and I'm going to extend my kingdom to this earth that we're on right now. Through you. It was all about dominion. It was about domain. If you like, it was a bit of a franchise. But they broke the rules of that covenant that God made with them. And so they were disenfranchised. They were put out of the garden. They were put out of the kingdom. But it's interesting to know that both in the parable of the talents and in the garden of Eden, the whole thing from God's perspective was about expansion, the extension of the kingdom, and Jesus himself even uses the term business. So I make no apology for this parallel that we're working along at the moment. 
Today is about one of the most important messages you'll probably ever hear in your life. And the reason I say that is because this type of teaching will affect you for eternity. Whereas other types of teaching may just affect this week. But this type of thing, uh, we get really, you know, we have to fight the devil over. It's about my eternity. It's about actually building up investments in heaven like Jesus told me to. In the business world, they call it a portfolio. They call it your investment portfolio. And in that, you have everything that you've got investments in in life. And we'll call it that, if you like, our, our eternal portfolio. And I would categorize those four areas of our life, and I'm going to work through them one at a time. Please pay your best attention to see how you can improve your eternal investments as we look at them. I'm going to work, work along the top of the page. The first column there, then, is my giftings. When I die, I'll stand before Jesus Christ, and one of the first things that I will be assessed on is the giftings he gave me. Every Christian, it says it right there in Ephesians, isn't it? That he gave gifts to men, right? Not just men, men and women. <laughs> every believer who's born again, every person who's saved, Christ has put giftings in you. And they're not to be wasted. They're not to be buried in the ground. They're giftings for the building up of the body. Don't hide your gifting. Don't have a false humility. Did I tell you the story about my best mate, my best friend? He came to me one morning with a pain in his back. He just came, he just came over to me and he said, w would you pray for me? I've got a pain. And you know, sometimes you just get that feeling. I just knew that's cancer. I just know that's cancer. And we had this woman in the church who was gifted in healing, and I knew it. But she had a false humility. It was pride, inverted pride. So I went to her and I said, it's not my particular gift. I went to this lady and said, would you come and pray for my friend? And she said, no, no. And I, you know, that absolutely infuriated me at that time. He's dying. And you're too afraid of what people think about you or anything else. Get over yourself. How are you going to face Christ with your gifting? You were given a gift to use. Men will always judge you. Don't worry about that. You should jump out of your seat and go and pray for that person. But people bury their talents. They bury their gifts for a thousand reasons. And I'm speaking generally here, guys, but this church is fantastic. And, and the, the, the way the gifts are used is just great. People have been tremendous. I've never had any difficulty. I think over the years here in the worship team, Agnes or, or Chris or Eileen, anybody leading here, they have full understanding of how the giftings work. I'd walk in here and I'd say to Agnes or Eileen or whatever, this is where I'm going today, and instantly they'll change what they were going to do and serve the church. Do you know what I mean? Understanding that the gift I've got is for the service of the church. Some people don't get that. Some people, as soon as they realize they've got a gift, it sadly turns to a case where it's all about them, and they become internalized and they lose their investment it gets snagged up, gets tangled. It's a very common sad, but it's a very common fact. In the weeks to come, we'll look at giftings. We'll categorize them and help you assess what giftings you actually have. They fall into three categories. There's the ministry or office giftings, prophet, pastor, teacher, uh, evangelist, etc. The ministry giftings. There's the motivational giftings, as they call them, or the practical giftings. Gifts of service, gifts of helps and administration around the church, very important part. 
often looked down upon, grossly misunderstood. And then there's the charismata, the spiritual giftings like healing and prophecy. Everybody wants that bit. True. Everybody wants the charismata. There isn't a cue, you know, for certain types of ministry, but there is a cue for others. It's a funny thing. I mean, I'm just being practical, folks, but you don't often hear someone coming forward in a meeting and saying, oh, God, make me part of the cleaning team. It's been my life's desire. But you will hear them pray for the charismata. And yet, in the kingdom, you see, there is not a lot of difference. There really isn't. Listen to this, and this might surprise you. Last Sunday night, when Pastor Elia was, was ministering on healing, I thought it was fantastic. It was an absolutely excellent evening. Amen? Those of you who were there, it's tremendous. And we're back tonight again, half six. Don't miss that. Keep on fighting for complete healing. But please understand how you get to the place where he can function like that. That was grade A ministry last week. First class. Excellent. How'd you do that, Elia? Let me tell you how. You went home at 10 to 9. And the place was empty. And guess who was hovering? <laughs> Pastor Elia. So one minute, I'm operating in the power of God under the anointing of God. And he was perfectly happy to do so. And everybody goes out. And I'm leaving. And I say, see you later. And he's perfectly happy to hoover up after the meeting. You see, be careful of the way you treat gifts. Because they puff so many people up that they lose all, you know, contact with reality. And we'll deal with this, not today particularly, but we'll deal with it in weeks to come. The first category that I think I'll be judged on when I face Christ is what did you do with your talents? What did you do with your giftings? Where are they? Where's my return? It's a bit like a business. The second thing is my calling. Now, your calling is not your gift. Paul talks clearly about gifts and callings. They are two completely different things. Your gift is a special ability or talent that God has given you. Your calling is largely geographical. Let me show it to you. Turn to 1 Kings chapter 17. 1 Kings chapter 17 and verse 3. This is something every new believer should be shown. This is a piece of scripture that you should start your life on, your spiritual life. It's that important. 1 Kings chapter 17. I'll read from verse 2. Then the word of the Lord came to Elijah. Leave here. Turn eastward and hide in the Kareth ravine east of the Jordan. You will drink from the brook. And I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. And every believer, I think, should really underline the word there. Because everybody has a calling. This is Elijah's calling, by the way. Everybody has a place. I'm talking about a geographical location, a city, a village, a town, whatever. Every believer, the Bible says it in several places. In the book of Acts, it says that God himself determines the times, the decades, and the places, the cities, in which you live. Callings are geographical. Now listen closely. What happens to Elijah if he doesn't heed the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord comes to him. What does he say? Elijah, I am going to feed you. I'm going to provide for you there, not here. 
And many believers get themselves out of the right place, out ge geographically I'm talking. You may be spiritually trying your hardest, but just because you're geographically disobedient or misplaced, you can entirely lose the spiritual edification of God. What does Elijah get when he ends up in the right city or in the right place? I'll tell you what he gets, fed and watered. He says, I go there, you will drink from the brook, and I have ordered the ravens to feed you there. Every Christian has a there. It's the place where you start to grow. It's the place where people have grace for you, where maybe you didn't experience that before. Uh, the, the place where people understand you. The place where there's a certain degree of ease in the kingdom and you find yourself quite at home. For me, and this is, you might not agree, but for me, calling is very, very, very important. It's not as important as functioning, but it's very important because I think if I can just get that piece right. I, I went to Bible college in Singapore. For weeks, they lectured us on this point, trying to get us to understand the point. Well, they were preaching to the converted because I totally accept that and understand it. I understand the importance of location, and I hope you do too. So my calling is tied up with where I am. It can also be your task in life. You may be called to be a housewife, like my mom was, and to raise your family, which she did with nine children. She did a great job. That can be your calling in life. You may have a particular career that you feel called into. That's absolutely fine too. Amen. Okay, and that could take you to like various geographical locations. A good example of a calling is, again, is Pastor Elia with Pastor Jake. I've been there several times with him five or six weeks on the trot, and I believe with all my heart that he has a calling to go to that place and to plant a church right there in that city, and that's something that we have on our agenda to do over the next few years, in fact, starting in April of this year. So I will be held accountable, and so will you, for the gifts that God has given you and what you've done with them. I'll be held accountable for any word he spoke to me. Folks, you might think that calling's not important. You might think that if God spoke to me like he spoke to Elijah, look at that, he told him exactly where to go. You might think everybody obeys. They don't. They don't. I've shared with you about a couple that God spoke to me about. Go to China, remember? I even wrote them a letter. And God's calling you to go to China. And they received that letter on the very day that they were giving the whole thing back to God. Amazing. This is a lady who's sitting outside her door in her car, praying about the calling of her life. And, I, you know, she's saying, God, she believed she was called to China, but she didn't want to go. And she said, God, just make it clear. <laughs> and we will obey. She opens the door and there's a letter from me. And I'm in Singapore at the time. She's in Dublin saying, God's calling you to go to China. Did she go? No. She didn't go there. She didn't go there. And so they ended up out actually back just in the world in a normal everyday life and missed the calling. You can think it's that, it's simple, it isn't. There's a massive fight on here for your calling, for your gifts, and we need to fight back. First of all, I'll be accountable for my gifts. Secondly, I'll be accountable for my calling. But the biggest category of my investment in heaven is how I function. And what I mean by that is functioning is everything that's not part of my gifting or not part of my call. Everything else that I do as part of everyday life. Now, let me just say it again. Unfortunately, when some people discover that they have a gift, they can become very proud, they can become very misguided, 
or they can become totally besotted with it and you lose them into it. You can't do that with either gifts or hobbies, by the way. You can't let them dominate your life or take over your life. That's not what they're meant to do. I've given you a little percentage chart across the middle. Your gifting should not really take probably much more, unless you're an exceptional individual that God's calling apart. Your gifts should not take up more than 25% of your time. So if you're called to be a pastor, really that's a pretty fair estimate. About 25% of your time should be spent really in pastoral duties, if you like. You've calling works over your whole life, but it's the functioning, the 75%, most of my life, do you know what I'm called to do? I'm a preacher, I'm a teacher. Now, 75% of my time is not spent teaching. 75% of my time, believe me, is spent doing a thousand other things that need doing to run the church. And I need to understand that this is just as important to Jesus. But I have lost count of the number of Bible college graduates that I've dealt with who come in and the only thing they want to do is their gift. They just want the 70, they want to reverse it, you know. They don't mind doing a little bit here and there. But they want to spend most of their times in their gift. And they feel like we slow them up, you know. You're slowing me up, I want to focus. I know what you want to do, my friend. But you're going to have to understand that it's not quite that simple. And in life, you're going to have a lot of things to do. I need to spend time with my wife. And if I don't, I don't think God wants my gift. I need to look after my home and run my family. And if I don't, I don't think God wants to use my gift. There's an awful lot of functioning that goes on. And it's, it's, it's just a practical point, folks, but it's extremely important. Many people want to run away from the responsibilities of running their home or just life. They just want to run away from life and the normal responsibilities of everyday life. And you know where they run to? Their gifts. Very often it's their gifts. That's where they go. But the end result is a disaster because your entire life will collapse around your ears if you do that. 75% of my time is spent functioning in my home, running this church, doing all the practical things that are concerned. And that releases me just for a moment to maybe share this word with you. And I understand that. And so it works over the last 18 years or whatever it is now. But some people don't even get started, you know, or they crash out along the way. Let me give you a little insight into something you might not have seen or might not have understood. How do I, here I am, right? Listen close. God called me years ago, not long after I got saved. I felt like the heavens opened and it was one of the most powerful words from God I ever had. Just one word, preach. That was it. But it, like it was so powerful. Like all space separated. And from way beyond the beyond, the word came and reached me. Frightened me. Very much frightened me. But I knew from that point on that I was called to preach. So all I'm going to do is preach. <laughs> no. So I go to the church. And the church tell me what I need to do. They give me functioning responsibilities. They give me a thousand things to do. Things that have got nothing to do with preaching. We need you to do this. Okay. We need you to do that. Okay. And that's fine. And you just relax and you go along. Now listen closely and follow me. I work for a church in Singapore. And I function for them. They have a calling to plant churches all over the world. I have a calling too. God's asked me to preach the gospel all over the world. They're asking me to do something different. 
What do I do? And as you study, you suddenly realize, do you know what I do? Golden rule, obey the leader. Just obey the leader. Listen close. As I function for my oversight in a thousand ways that are nothing to do with my gifting, guess what happens then? They achieve their calling through my functioning. And as I do that, as I obey the structure, guess what happens to me? God sends me partners with preparing the way. God sends me brilliant pastors here, Pastor Tom. And through them functioning, I actually achieve my going. Do you get it? Jesus sent them out two by two, deliberately, not one by one. And he will make sure that you don't get isolated. As I function for others, they achieve their calling. And others function for me, and gradually over the period of time, you can see that everyone eventually enters their calling. But listen closely, you will not if you stop functioning. Do you get it? You've got to be willing to serve the body, you see. And God keeps that thing very high on his agenda. And I, if I was you, I would take it very you know, closely to heart. To me, I believe functioning has opened every door in my life. And by that, I mean when the church asks me to do anything, I'll say yes, pretty much. What do you need me to do? That's what I'll do. And if I disagree, then I'll go back over a period of time. They call it the six-month rule. So if I still feel the same in six months' time, I would go back to my leaders and say, look, I'm doing what you asked me to do, but I'm still not quite sure about this. Can we run this past me one more time? So I'll be held accountable for my gifts, I'll be held accountable for my calling, but the only way I'll reach that is by functioning for other people first. I'll be held accountable most definitely for the things that I function in that are not my gift, and that will be the bulk of my reward in heaven. It will be because of things outside of my gifting. And lastly, of course, finance. Now, don't people get bent out of shape when you talk about money? <laughs> people don't like you talking about money. But it's not my... I didn't write the Bible, you know. God did. And right there in the book of Genesis, he sets Adam and Eve up, and he's starting them out in business. Right? It's his father's business. You're going to extend my kingdom all over the earth. I'm the king, you're the subjects, off you go, Adam and Eve. Who can tell me what the first rule was in the business plan? There was only one. Don't touch the tithe. The tree. The tree in the Garden of Eden, I didn't write it. The tree in the Garden of Eden was that which you cannot touch. It represents the tithe. It was fruit in those days. It's finance today. The first rule in actually entering into a, a spiritual mind in terms of my businesses practically on earth, but also my eternal portfolio, the first rule, in my opinion, from God concerns money. Right? Not, I didn't make it up. There it is, right there. So, and guess what the rule was they broke? Why did Adam and Eve lose, get disenfranchised? Because they broke the only rule that God gave them to obey. So it is central, you see, very central. So gifts, calling, my function, how I function in a thousand ways, and of course my finances. These are the things I will answer to God to. These are the ways, if we were to talk about the stock exchange, and say, you know, say you wanted to go and make an investment on the stock exchange. The first thing you would ask me is, who do I invest in? What company? I don't know any companies. And when it comes to investing in heaven forever, it's the same thing. You ask, well, what do I invest in? How do I invest? That's what you invest in. 
And if I was you, I would major on the functioning bit. Your gift and calling will look after you itself. God will see to that. Major on functioning. Let me talk about attitudes. It's the bottom of the page. The attitudes that we should have to our gifts, to our calling, to our functioning, and to finances. Something God's very interested in. Unfortunately, as I mentioned, many people, when they realize they have a gift, it can make them very proud, it can make them very pumped up, can make them cocky, and that's hopeless. We were in 1 Kings 17 a moment ago. Look at 1 Kings 19. This is another great scripture. 1 Kings 19, verse 14. 1 Kings 19, verse 14. This is Elijah talking to God. He replied, I have been very jealous for the Lord Almighty. The Israelites have rejected your covenant, broken down your altars, and put your prophets to death with the sword. I am the only one left. <laughs> and now they're trying to kill me too. And look how God replies in verse 18 of the same chapter. 1 Kings 19 verse 18, God answers Elijah's belief that he's essential for the plan of God, that he's the only one. In verse 18, God says, no, Elijah, I have yet reserved for myself 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed down to Baal and whose mouths have not kissed him. Real crucial point in there. Elijah was a prophet, and a great prophet too. But guess what that gift was doing to him? Making him just a little bit cocky. I'm the only one, Lord. There's no one quite like me. And God has to kind of cut Elijah down to size. And you see that all the time with people, especially new converts. Older converts tend to have dealt with these things. But new converts, when they realize they have a new gift, or some function within the body, it can often puff people up. I remember one worship leader I had, very nice guy, but he developed this unfortunate attitude. And the attitude was, you need me. You really need this church. What would this church be without me? You know that sort of attitude, chip on the shoulder? Real nice guy. But he would come in and he started to come in and I noticed it, I didn't say anything. But a couple of other people said to me, there's an attitude problem. I thought, okay, okay. And once people start telling you stuff like that, you have to intervene, you know. So I had to have a word with him and say, can I just say something to you? Every church has a royal family, you know. You're beginning to act like the royal family. You're beginning to behave like we need you. And can I explain something to you? Listen, everybody. We don't need you. Okay? And I had to say to that guy, you haven't read the parable of the talents. We don't need you. You know what this church, see me? You don't need me. You don't need me. I'm not needed here. In fact, I would go as far as to say, you'd be better off without me. Oh, go on. Uh -huh. <laughs> Had to drag that out of here. Kay. Kay was our worship leader this morning. We don't need you. You're not needed. <laughs> People don't get that. Elijah didn't, obviously. I'm the only one. Elijah, please. What on earth are you thinking? You know the parable, listen carefully, listen. You know the parable of the talents? It was the gifting that was important. 
It was the function, not the person. Not the person, the function. And the body, Paul talks about it, the hands, the eyes. Pastor Tom was preaching on this the other week. It's the function, not the person. And when people get proud, you know why it is? It's because they mix up their function with themselves. And they start to think, I'm important. And in they come. And that's what that, that was the mistake that that guy had made. It's a very common mistake. Do you get the point? Let me tell you. If I was to say that you need me, that this church needs me, do you know what I'm saying? I'm saying I'm the best pastor in the world. Somebody should have shouted out, you are, at least. <laughs> there are hundreds of thousands of pastors out there, a million times more equipped. You'd be better off without me. Kay, <laughs> stand up, get out from under your seat. Are you the best? No, 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 I'm only joking, I'm only joking. <laughs> Are you the best worship leader in the world? No. We're better off without him. Sorry. I'm going somewhere. Stay there. Don't walk out. You'd be better off without me because there's better pastors than me. You'd be better off without Kay because Kay's not. Neither of us are the best in the world. There's actually better people than us. Right, Elijah? Did you get that? But if you don't get it, what happens is churches build on very dodgy foundations. Now stay with me, because I'm going somewhere. You see, this is not milk, guys. This is meat. It's real meat. Some of you will choke on it and spit it out and say he's nuts. That's okay. But I'm not here because you need me. Let me tell you a few examples from around the world. We work, as I say, Pastor Rick in Singapore. Years ago, began the church. 300 people. Couldn't get it past 300. And he had to go and finish his doctorate in California. He goes away for one year. The church, boom, 1,500. And with that deposit, he was able to expand worldwide. The church was better off without him. Joel Osteen, you know Joel Osteen? His father, over 50 years, built the church there in the States, in Houston. And what a hero, and what a man of God he was. And the father got old, and the father started to die. And the church of 2,000 people, we need him! Lord, keep him alive! Don't let him die! And they looked around as it became apparent that the father was going to die. They looked around. He's got a son. His name was Joel Austin. Never preached in his life. He was the video editor, by the way, if you didn't know that. Joel used to sit in the back in the sound room and edit the videos. And the eldership looked around and they thought, when the father dies, use his son. No, it's a David situation. Shepherd boy, no. Couldn't use him. But as time went by, they thought, well, let's just ask. Joel, would you preach? He said, I've never preached in my life. And Joel Austin, you know the story. Was the church better off? <laughs> the church grew to one of the largest in America today. It's 30,000 members, and they just bought the Yankees football stadium. Better off without the father. And you know, this is such a profound point and such a fundamental flaw in churches and in Christians that the apostles even needed to understand that they were better off without Jesus. <gasps> right. He said that to them one day. What did he say? How did he put it? It is meet for thee that I should leave. You'd be better off without me. It's better for you. The church will grow. Greater things will you do when I get out of here. So you see, 
with the way we approach giftings, it's crucial that you don't take the wrong path and start thinking that God needs you or that we need you because we don't. God is God. He's Almighty God. He doesn't need you, believe me, friends. And the church will carry on as it has always done with or without you. That is the wrong perspective and it leads to great trouble. It's a misunderstanding of the parables. The parable of the talents is about the, the necessity of giftings. The body has functions. It's about the necessity of the function, not the person. Do you understand? So we've all got giftings. And if you don't use it, God will take it from you, he says right there in the talents, and I'll give it to someone else. I'll get someone else to do it because it's the function that's important. Now, if you don't get that right from the beginning, look at the two lists I've given you under attitudes to gifts. These are the two types of churches that you get. You get a fundamental misunderstanding, particularly with people fresh out of Bible college. This is a very common problem in church planting. There's the two ways you can look at it. Some people think they're essential. I'm essential. No, because that makes them self-important. It makes them proud. They're living in a, 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 an illusion. And often then, they use their gifting, they withhold their gifting. They can get a bit of a temper tantrum, you know, oh, I won't do my ministry then. You know, it leads to withholding because of a wrong attitude. It's all about me. And of course, being told that the church can't survive without you, that appeals to the flesh. People love to be told that they're needed. Don't want to be told that I'm not needed. That appeals to the flesh. And these people like, you know, titles. Give me this title, give me that title. So it leads to loads of trouble. But the right way of looking at it is to say that I'm honored. So you know when you fly some airlines around the world, they tell you about three times that you didn't have to choose that airline. You're sitting in the, in the what do you call it, the gate, and it comes over the tannoy. We understand that you had a choice of airlines. And we want to thank you today for choosing BA or whatever. And you get on the plane, and they say it again. We understand that you had a choice of airlines. And you see, the right attitude for me is this. Not to say that you need me because you don't. That's going to fundamentally flaw me for my whole life. I need to get rid of that. The right attitude is this. Lord, I realize that you had a million choices. And I am so honored that you have asked me to do this. Okay? God had thousands of choices, but God chose you to be here at this time. And what that does is it doesn't create pride within you. It creates humility within you. It creates reality within you. And it puts you on the right track, friends. So watch your giftings. Watch your attitude to your gifts. They're there to serve the body. This is hard for some people to take, I know, because it, it doesn't pamper your flesh. It causes you to grow up. It's meat. It causes you to grow up. But it's better than the other path. There's a girl addicted to heroin, sleeping in doorways in Dublin City. Somebody brought her to our church. It's an absolute mess. Put her through the program we were running at the time. Got her completely clean from all drugs. We trained her up. She was already a trained psychologist, actually. But we trained her in counseling techniques and brought her through the church programs. Did very, very well. Really came on in leaps and bounds. A few years go by, she actually started a small group in the church 
for other people coming off drugs. She did very well. The group grew, but all of a sudden, she started to develop that little chip on the shoulder, like you can't do without me attitude. And it wasn't long, one day I got a phone call. And the phone call said, hello, I'm leaving. I'm leaving the church. Now, when you get phone calls like that, you always, there's two ways, you see. People can say, would you pray with me or talk with me or discuss with me? I'm thinking of this. Then you do. But when someone says, this is what I'm doing, you never get involved. It's a prodigal son situation. So, fine. Okay, you're leaving. Where are you going? I'm going to such and such a church. Oh, I know. I know him. He's a real good pastor. You'll be very happy there. He's a good guy. So what's going to happen in my ministry? I said, well, no problem. There's plenty of people can do that. And thank you for everything. You've been fantastic. Let's just pray with you and pray, you know, God blesses you as you go. Okay, bye. Half an hour goes by. Phone rings. One of the pastors in the church. What have you done to upset that woman? <laughs> She's crying. She's all upset. She phoned me. I didn't do anything. You've really upset her. What did I do? I didn't do anything. I'm going to go. Did you leave her alone? You've got to be a father in this situation. That's not always easy. She's got some things she needs to work out. Leave her alone. Don't visit her. Don't call her. Sunday comes. She's not there. The following Sunday comes. In she walks. She was excellent. She walked up to me. Big smile. She got over herself. She said, I didn't like it down there. I won't be here. Okay. No problem. Do you know what you should do? Get that chip off your shoulder. And get back. You're not essential. But we love you. And you're welcome. But get rid of the attitude. Just get back to your ministry. And she did. With a plum. She had got rid of that you know, misunderstanding about how we function. There's your list, friends, is to understand that you're honored. That will create humility within you. It will create a sense of reality within you. You see, that girl, she was only going to hurt herself. She's only going to hurt herself, only going to lose her own eternal reward. She understands now that it's all about God, and that appeals to maturity and gives glory to God. So make sure, as we begin to look at our eternal investment, that you really are approaching your gifts correctly. And of course, your calling. Your calling is crucial. Paul says we should walk worthy of the high calling we have received. And as for functioning, we'll, we'll look at this. This is so important that I think we need to look at it probably in one week just devoted to it alone. But you should function in all the different ministries and all the different functions that you do. Whatever you do, do it gladly. What did I just say? Please remember it. Whatever you're doing, if you're an usher, don't do it with a bad attitude. Whatever function you're in, if you're outside of your gifting and you're serving the church, the trick of the devil will be get you to start getting proud, to start saying, you know, I'm an usher. Is that all they think of me? Is that all I am? What about my gifts? To start thinking like that. And once you start thinking like that, you've taken a wrong turn. When you function, do it with gladness. Bring yourself back and do it with gladness. Amen? Actually, when you function, you develop other gifts. You find other skills and gifts that God has put in you that you may never have known. Things that you would never have dreamed of through functioning. I think Pui is a good example, actually. When I came here to the church, I don't know about you, but I can't stand a tambourine. I think it's a nuisance. Bang, bang, bang. You know? Just personal. When I came here, it was the first time 
I actually ever accepted, embraced, and liked the tambourine. And it was the first time I ever in my life seen anyone who was actually gifted in a tambourine. I remember walking in, that's a gift. Goodness me, I never thought that. I heard, you know, in Psalms, it says all the different instruments, and it mentions clapping. Have you ever heard someone gifted in clapping? I met a guy once who was gifted in clapping. Totally different. The, my hearing was different. I thought, he's got a gift. I never thought of that. God says, worship me with that, 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 and it becomes a gift. And Pui was the first person I'd ever met that had a gift of playing the tambourine. So one day I go up to her and I say, hey, you know, you're really good with that. There's an absolute anointing on you for that. And she said, ah, let me tell you the story. I didn't want to play the tambourine. I was in my church. I want that. <laughs> Don't want to play. I want to play that. And I went to my leader and I said, oh, I want to play the keyboard. And the leader said, ah, well, you see, there's functions that we need to carry out. You want to go this way, that way. I'll get back to you on it. And the leader came back after whatever time and said, do you know what we want you to do? But we, we don't want you to play the keyboard. We actually want you to play the tambourine. Function. So she says, okay, I will do what you ask me. It's not what I thought was my calling. It's not what I thought was way, you know, where I was going to go. I'll do it. She picks it up. What happens? An anointing comes. She discovers herself, discovers a gift. And that's a great testimony. Through functioning, you will find many, many things that you didn't know were there. Things that life can be impoverished because we miss them. We wonder, hey, haves and have-nots so often in the kingdom. Those who seem to prosper greatly, those who seem impoverished. Those who seem to be, you know, running with the Lord and those who seem to be bereft of any spiritual, you know, aspect to them at all. Just like the parable of the talents. And the difference in it all, for me, this is my opinion, is functioning. It's those who actually do the work that find themselves and find, you know, giftings and everything else and are released into your calling ultimately. We'll deal with this over weeks to come. Lastly, of course, finances. Finances are very important. Remember the four aspects to finances? There's the tithe and there's the free will offering, the sacrificial offering and the faith pledge. The center two concern your attitude to money. The free will offering, the reason it's in your Bible, is because God wants you. In fact, I'll just invite the worship team back. Kay, are you okay? You're not going to hit me or push me off the stage or anything? <laughs> the reason why the free will offering and the sacrificial offering are central to our giving is because it concerns your attitude. God wants your attitude and your giving to be right. So there's your eternal portfolio, friends. Can't change it. It's in your Bible. Can't alter it. The wisest thing for me to do is to take a very cold assessment, calculating assessment of how my investments are performing, if you like. Look at my gifts. Find them out. Go and pray with someone if you don't know what they are. Seek God for my calling. Be that a career, a business, whatever, or to raise your family, whatever it is. Seek God for what that calling is. Practice functioning in the body in, in, in every way that you can. And of course, keep a good attitude to finances. Stand this morning and let's just pray those things in. Hallelujah. Jesus. Jesus, Lord, I thank you that we're not left without guidance. We're not left lost, Lord, but we clearly know the way that we should go. 
I pray that you would grace us with the, the ability to obey you, with the grace to obey you and follow through on these issues. Lord, for giftings, would you mature us? For calling, would you help us to pursue it? And God, you've made us a great functioning church. I thank you for that. Would you just continue to stir that up amongst us? And Lord, in our finances, may we give liberally and happily. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Yeah.